Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa giving you news from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet channel. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabiso Lohoku. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Amidst increasingly peaceful protests and an easing of curfews around the U.S., protesters focused their energies on the removal of symbols of racism and oppression. With one of the largest HIV-positive populations in the world, many experts express concerns about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the South African population. And in economics news, the World Bank forecasts that the economic decline caused by the coronavirus pandemic this year will be more widespread than at any time in the last 150 years. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. Tanzania's President John Makafuli has declared the country coronavirus-free thanks to prayers by citizens. Makafuli told worshippers in a church in the capital, Dodoma, that the corona disease has been eliminated thanks to God. He also praised them for not wearing masks and gloves. The World Health Organization has expressed concern about the government's strategy over the COVID-19 crisis. Last month, Tanzania's government dismissed a U.S. embassy warning that hospitals in Dar es Salaam were overwhelmed and that the chances of contracting the virus was extremely high. South Africa's national COVID-19 death toll has surpassed the 1,000 mark at 1,080 after 82 more deaths were recorded. Meanwhile, the number of coronavirus infections have also surpassed the 50,000 mark and now stands at 50,879. Zoleka Kodashi reports. South Africa has recorded a mortality rate of 2.1%. This as the number of COVID-19-related deaths increased by 82, the highest since the outbreak in the country. 55 of the deaths were recorded in the Western Cape, 26 in the Eastern Cape, and one from KwaZulu-Natal. The Eastern Cape remains a cause of concern as the province's number of infections stands at 6,341. Health Minister Dr. Zwilim Kize had earlier warned that the province was showing the same patterns as the Western Cape, which remains the epicenter of the pandemic in the country, with 33,568 infections. Thousands of people in the U.S. state of Texas have been paying their last respects at a memorial service of George Floyd. The man's killing by police has sparked demonstrations around the world. Floyd's body laid in an open gold-colored metallic casket as mourners filed past wearing masks against the COVID-19 virus. The memorial service was held at the Fountain of Praise Church in Houston, where Floyd grew up. Meanwhile, a judge has set bail at $1 million U.S. million for the white 
former Minneapolis police officer who faces a charge of second-degree murder as well as a charge of manslaughter for the death of Floyd in police custody on the 25th of May. The accused made his first court appearance via video feed handcuffed in an orange prison overall. The 44-year-old Derek Chauvin did not enter a plea and his next court appearance is set for the 29th of this month. Chauvin Bryce Peace reports. Chauvin's separate court appearance follows the earlier appearances of three of his former colleagues last week who faced charges of aiding and abetting second-degree murder and manslaughter. Their bail was set at between $750,000 and $1 million. The higher bail figure is for bail without conditions and the lower figure for bail with conditions which includes being law-abiding, making future court appearances and surrendering firearms among others. An Iranian scientist who was released from a U.S. jail as part of a prison exchange has traveled back to Iran. Majid Tahiri had spent more than a year in prison for violating sanctions on Tehran. The BBC's Martin Patience reports. The Iranian scientist was greeted by the country's deputy foreign minister when he arrived at Tehran airport. Hussein Jabari Ansari said he hoped that the release of Mr. Tahiri would mean others could be freed in the future. The scientist's return to Iran comes just days after the US Navy veteran Michael White was freed from an Iranian jail and arrived back in America. The prisoner swap marks a slight thaw in tensions between the two countries, which have been sky high in recent months. One of the most celebrated Springbok Sevens rugby players of all time, Cecil Africa, has ended his official Blitzbox journey. After 12 seasons of highlights and achievements, he has not quite given up on his Olympic dream, but unless called upon, South Africa's highest point scorer will not don the green and gold again after a mutual agreement between him and the Springbok Sevens management team. Africa's national contract will come to an end at the end of July, and with no international matches or tournaments scheduled for this period. It means that the 2011 World Rugby Sevens Player of the Year will bar out after 345 HSBC World Rugby Sevens Series matches and a point steadily of 1,462. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Well, thank you. And amidst increasingly peaceful protests and an easing of curfews around the United States, protesters there and around the world have focused their energies on the removal of symbols of racism and oppression. Civil rights groups have long called for the removal of Confederate monuments in the U.S., with protesters already toppling a stat- statue of a general in Richmond, Virginia, that has stood since 1891. Sim- similar scenes are playing themselves out in cities across Europe in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing at the hands of police. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Demonstrations have shifted from moments like this to scenes like this. As thousands of peaceful protesters with crowds swelling at the weekend populating cities across the United States. An energy that's now being trained on effecting change, starting with the removal of monuments to the slave-owning South, 
like the statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee in Richmond, Virginia. Listen to the governor of that state, Ralph Northam. I believe in a Virginia that studies its past in an honest way. I believe that when we learn more, we can do more. And I believe that when we learn more, when we take that honest look at our past, we must do more than just talk about the future. We must take action. So I am directing the Department of General Services to remove the statue of Robert E. Lee as soon as possible. Protesters used ropes to topple a bronze of Confederate General William Carter Wickham in the same city this past weekend. While similar statues or roadways have or are being considered for removal or renaming in several states. Richmond Mayor Levi Stoney. We have two pandemics in this country. COVID-19 and racism. One is six months old, the other 400 years old. And as the events of the last months and the last two weeks have made painfully clear, both are lethal, especially for black and brown people. It is our responsibility to do everything we can to keep either from claiming more lives in this country, in this world. We need to show that black and brown lives matter. A sentiment that has crossed the Atlantic with monuments to Winston Churchill vandalized in London or demonstrators in Bristol who tore down a statue to a 17th century slave trader and dumped it in the river. In Belgium, 30,000 people signed petitions to remove statues of colonial-era King Leopold II, whose troops decimated Congo in the late 1800s. Listen to two residents of Antwerp. If the Congolese people didn't get enough rubber out of the trees, they had their hands cut off. There are presumably millions of people who died just so he could get that money from rubber that they used to make tires. I think if they remove street names of Nazi collaborators, this one should be removed for sure. When I saw it, I was a bit surprised, but I didn't really know what the statue stands for. I thought it was just a normal statue. But now that I know who he is and what the statue actually represents, I think it's unfair. All this as tensions between police and protesters eased in the United States, President Donald Trump ordering the withdrawal of the National Guard from Washington, D.C., with plans afoot in Houston, Texas, for a final memorial for George Floyd, ahead of his funeral on Tuesday. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. Economic Freedom Fighters leader Julius Malema has called on all black people across the world to unite and intensify the fight against racism. He was speaking at the offices of the U.S. Embassy in Pretoria in show of support for African-Americans who have been protesting against the killing of George Floyd by a white police officer. Malema knelt for eight minutes alongside the EFF members to pay respect to Floyd. Abongile Dumako reports. A large number of EFF supporters gathered in the early hours of Monday morning outside the U.S. Embassy in support of African Americans. U.S. citizens have been protesting against methods used by police, including killings, 
against black Americans. Addressing the supporters who observed social distancing and wore masks, EFF President Julius Malema says they will soon approach the courts to challenge government's report on the passing of Collins Corsa. An internal SANDF investigation has cleared the SANDF members implicated in Corsa's death in Alexandra Township in April. A police investigation is still underway. Malima says the deaths of both Corsa and Floyd can't be in vain. And so buried Corsa ourselves. We paid for the mutuary. We removed the body from here to go and be buried at home. We were supporting this family. We are not with them today because there is a hashtag Black Lives Matter. In the EFF, since we were formed, Black Lives Matter every day. Where we see an injustice, we move in there. Meanwhile, the widow of Collins Costa, Nomsa Moncha, was at the U.S. Embassy in Pretoria to take part in the peaceful protest. Moncha says she is grateful to be part of the protest as it's helping her to heal from the loss of her husband at the hands of the SANDF members. Black Lives Matters. I was around when my husband, SNDF, took his life. I watched everything. I know what happened. I'm happy to be here today and thank EFF for the support they gave Costa family. Thank you. Speaking earlier at the same protest, Malema called on black people across the world to unite and intensify the fight against racism. And other party leaders also declared their solidarity with African-Americans, including Deputy President Floyd Shibambu, who was in Sentin, and National Chairperson Veronica Mente in Cape Town. I'm Abongile Tumago in Pretoria. Meanwhile, the Economic Freedom Fighters Deputy President Floyd Shibambu says the world must consider isolating and boycotting the U.S. and its products. Shibambu was addressing protesters during the party's Johannesburg leg of the National Day of Action demonstrations in solidarity with African Americans in the U.S. The party called for the protests in solidarity with African Americans who are protesting against the violent killings of black people by police in the U.S. It urged the public to join its peaceful demonstrations by and taking a knee for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, which is the amount of time the U.S. policeman placed his knee on the throat of George Floyd, leading to his death. Nomadizo Mandel felt this report. EFF Deputy President Floyd Shibambu said the protests were in the spirit of international solidarity. The international isolation and solidarity which we have received from many parts of the world contributed to the end of apartheid here in South Africa. So it is not whether we are supporting this or that. It is the struggle that seeks to, to protect black people's lives. Because since the beginning of the modern world, we have always have a society that has got no regard for black people. Shivambu said the world needs to start holding the U.S. accountable for what he called white supremacy and police brutality. Came here to this symbol of American imperialism, the consulate, to say to them that we must end all forms of white supremacy and police brutality. Maybe the world must begin to think of isolating America if the white supremacy and police brutality continues. America is nothing without all of us in the world. The American empire depends on the buying power of all people of the world. If we, we, we boycott 
all American products, America will be nothing. And that is a discussion we must start having. He lambasted South Africa for the use of what he called symbols of colonial invasion and oppression. We know that Paul Kruger is not a hero of Africa. We know that John Smart is not a hero of black people. We know that Fairwood is not our hero. We know that Louis Botha is not our hero. We know that all these colonial settlers are not our heroes. But go in all parts of South Africa. You will find symbols of colonial invasion and oppression, of the colors matter of black people. This is after 26 years of so-called democracy. We are surrounded by the system that oppressed all of us. And that report by Nomalizo Mandela. Parliamentary committees have been holding virtual meetings for more than a month now. At first, the meetings were beset with problems as members struggled to connect or simply did not know what to do once connected. Parliament thinks, however, that these teething problems have been addressed and that members are now comfortable using these platforms. But should Parliament keep this method of meetings even after lockdown? Joseph Musia reports. The most serious incident involving meetings on cyberspace so far was an intrusion into the programming committee's Zoom meeting, which later led to that platform no longer being used for meetings of parliament. Sometimes the systems just don't work, and even the experts don't know what to do. How do I do this? I try to share. It doesn't want to share. On my side, I can't see the slides. Yeah, no slides. No slides. No slides, my sister. I we we're having a bit of a technical issue again even the the adg was trying to connect his he's got i i don't know otherwise members of parliament behave exactly as they behave when they are in the house in person the first virtual meeting of the national assembly descended into a shouting match as eff members spoke even when the speaker said they should not do so the house chairperson in charge of committees cedric frolic says they are happy with how members have adjusted to the new conditions the virtual platform to conduct committee meetings have developed into a very efficient and credible mechanism to conduct meetings. After initial hiccups, MPs very quickly got used to the use of technology and adapted rather well. All parties in Parliament are now in agreement that the system indeed works to conduct oversight over the executive, amongst other. ACDP Chief Whip Steve Swartz says he is satisfied with the virtual platforms but does not think they can replace contact meetings altogether. One repeatedly hears, member, you are on mute or member, mute your microphone. And, but I think we're getting better at it and my perspective is we relatively satisfied for the usage of these platforms during the coronavirus. But it is not ideal because one misses the personal interaction with the ministers in particular and, of course, 
the leaders of the government delegations. ANC MP Richard Yankee says the online meetings are very beneficial and have resulted in big savings for both parliament and government. He added, however, that they have also exposed some of the country's weaknesses when it comes to broadband availability. People in, 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 deep in, in the rural areas, in the Bundus, are forced to leave where they are and go into a car, go somewhere else in order to get a connection. That is saying to us there's so much more we need to do uh, to really, if we are to be ready for the 4IR. Frolic says they hope to use online platforms even after lockdown as there are clear benefits. Over the last few years, Parliament has spent vast amounts of money on the hiring of venues outside Parliament due to the limited number of committee rooms inside the precinct. Virtual meetings now provide us with a viable option to have those committee meetings even if venues are not available inside the premises. That report by Joseph Musia. For your latest update on COVID-19, that is the novel coronavirus, I'm Hilda Kekera for Channel Africa in Livingston, Zambia. When someone coughs or sneezes, they spray small liquid droplets from their nose or mouth which may contain the virus. If you are too close, you can breathe in the droplets, including the COVID-19 virus if the person coughing has the disease. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Culture and Joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. 
It's 7.23 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. With one of the largest HIV-positive populations in the world, many experts have expressed concerns about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on this segment of the South African population. However, HIV-positive individuals who remain on treatment and whose viral loads are at undetectable levels are likely to be at no greater risk of contracting or developing serious COVID-19 disease than are HIV-negative South Africans. This is according to HIV clinician Dr. Kairunisha Mohammed from Netke Garden City Hospital in Johannesburg, and she was speaking to Samora Mangesi. A couple of years ago, we started a testing program in this country, which didn't wait for immune systems to crash before we started putting them on. The minute they tested positive, we started putting everyone on treatment. And a few years down the line, we have reaped the reward of this because now most of our patients should be virally undetectable and the CD4 should be decent. So in view of that, there should be no added risk in the patient who has just HIV, has a good, vi- like an undetectable viral load and a good CD4. His um, uh, exposure will be the same as anyone else's HIV negative, And he's going to do the same prevention things like wear a mask, wash, wash hands. But more than that, I don't think he's at any added risk than someone who's HIV negative. All right. So uh, concern should be around HIV positive people who are actually defaulting treatment or, or not on treatment, uh, not necessarily one's HIV status. Yes, that's the problem we face right now. For the patients who have no idea what their status is, for patients who know their status and never access care, and for patients who... Um, have defaulted treatment, and the other one is patients who have other comorbid conditions like um, TB, the other comorbidities, hypertension, diabetes, and all the other renal and cardiac and respiratory conditions that might go with that as well. All right, and uh, you you have expressed concern for the thousands of HIV patients in Gauteng who have reportedly failed to collect their treatment during the lockdown. Uh, What impact could this have? Well, it's a disaster. I mean, uh, you know, not taking your ARVs is an absolute and total disaster. I mean, the only way ARVs work and work effectively is if you take your treatment properly. That was Dr. Kairunisha Mohammed from Netke Garden City Hospital in Johannesburg speaking to Samora Mangesi. Even though it's already been signed by South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa, the Child Justice Act will only be operational once regulations, directives and guidelines have been developed and finalized by the various departments involved. The primary objective of the Act is to increase the minimum age of criminal capacity of children who commit offenses. At least one child rights organization has welcomed the changes to the Act. Zaline Merrington reports. The Act previously said that a child under the age of 10 who commits an offence lacks criminal capacity and cannot be prosecuted. The law has now increased that age to 12. 
and unless the state can prove beyond reasonable doubt that a child between the ages of 12 and 14 who commits an offence has capacity, that child cannot be prosecuted. These children will be referred for possible intervention. The law now says a child in this age category does not have an appreciation of his or her actions. The state also has to now consider educational level, cognitive abilities, domestic and environmental circumstances and maturity. Advocate Vuyokazi Ketelo from the National Prosecuting Authority's Children's Unit explains. Capacity is one of the key factors that our courts consider whether a person is culpable of committing a crime. When a child is alleged to have committed an offence, that child must have an appreciation of what she has done and the consequences of what she has done. This means that the child must be in a position to differentiate between right and wrong. One child's rights organisation is happy with the latest developments. The director at Molo Songololo, Patrick Solomons, says the new law gives children a chance to avoid the criminal justice system. The new amendments, of course, make specific provisions for the courts to be able to prove criminal capacity of a child. That is, children between the age of 12 and 14 years of age. The court will have to make certain uh, specific uh, considerations around the child's um, circumstances, the capacity of the child, educational capacity, the understanding whether the child knows whether he or she committed an offence and the seriousness of the offence, the impact on victims, of course, and of course the community, and before the child um, will be prosecuted. So that is a very important provision for our children. It affords them the kind of protection that they deserve, and it also will keep a lot of our children out of um, prisons and also further um, uh, criminalizes our children. So we're very, very happy with the new amendments. And um, we're very pleased that the responsibilities is on the courts to determine whether children between the age of 12 and 14 years of age uh, can be held criminally responsible. And that report by Zaline Merrington. It is 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Bringing you your latest news on the novel coronavirus disease COVID-19. For Channel Africa, I'm Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Make sure you and people around you follow good respiratory hygiene. This means covering your mouth and nose with your bent elbow and tissue when you cough and sneeze. Then dispose the used tissue immediately. 7.30, our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. In the headlines, Tanzania's President John Makafuli has declared the country coronavirus-free thanks to prayers by citizens. South Africa's national COVID-19 death toll has surpassed the 1,000 mark at 1,080 after 82 more deaths were recorded. And a judge has set bail at 1.2 million US dollars for the white former Minneapolis police officer who faces a charge of second-degree murder as well as a charge of manslaughter for the death of George Floyd.
Lloyd. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne. A spike in incidents of rape and violence against women has resulted in Nigerian women staging a peaceful protest with the country's House of Representatives making moves to ensure that the legislation on violence against women and related issues is domesticated by all the 36 states. Collins Atohengbe reports that the House is also considering appropriate measures to be taken against rapists in whose hands many young women have had their lives snuffed out after being molested. Last week's incident in Benin City drew fresh attention to the cry of women, especially mothers, who have been grieved by heartless men that men who take advantage of young women at different times and even kill the girls after molesting them should be made to face the music. The women took their grievances to the National Assembly in Abuja to demand stiffer penalties against their opposite-sex member of the society whose libido has caused sorrow in homes and destroyed the lives of promising young girls. The latest victim is a 23-year-old Waila Vera Omozua, a first-year undergraduate of the University of Benin, who was raped and killed while reading in a church near her parents' home at night. The father of the victim, Omozua, tried amidst excruciating pain over the mother of his daughter to explain his feelings when he saw the corpse of his girl at the scene of the crime, but his heart failed him. When I go to the scene of crime, that what I saw there, the damages, even the weapon that was used, because the guy was no hit, any part of the body, only the head. The situation of this girl, I made this girl coma. And since even this situation is increasing. Police was called in and investigation began. But the spokesperson of the Nigerian police, Frank Kumba, says investigation has often run into murky waters because evidences at the crime scene got tampered with. We have over time discovered that a lot of cases touching on rape and sexual abuses of women fail essentially because the crime scenes are mismanaged. Once you mismanage the crime scene and the, 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 the key evidence that are essential in establishing the crime and, and, and obtaining a successful prosecution of the suspect is lost, the investigation will run into murky waters. That is true most times, but the women want more than just inconclusive investigation to say that government should do more to stem the emergence of rape culture with its adverse effect on the African culture. Kiki Modi is a journalist and social activist. When we talk about fighting rape culture, all of a sudden people think that it's a fight for women when it's a fight for humanity. So we need people to fight this fight. You know, if we start in schools, in, the, in, in places of learning, in churches, we need to fight back in a systemic way. We need to fight back through these structures. It's not an individual fight. I mean, the age of consent in Nigeria is 18 across the 36 states. That The age of consent has to be 18 and it's non-negotiable. So if we can at least have that bare minimum structure in place, while we're teaching on one hand, we're persecuting on, on, on the other hand. If you refuse to listen, you go to jail. You know, people need to understand that these things are criminal offenses. They're not things like disagreements that we settle amicably as a family, you settle it in jail. It's a, a, a gross crime against women. But what is government doing to curb the strange trends of behavior creeping into the Nigerian space? Yinka Omorugbe is the Commissioner for Justice in Edo State. She says government is making efforts to ensure that justice is served. 
The government is working tirelessly to ensure that appropriate measures are put in place to ensure that victims can find safety and the information that they need to seek redress and also to ensure that perpetrators are tried, convicted and punished. To get to that level, there must be affirmative actions which will allow every concerned citizen to play a role in the fight to stop the evil and the act of rape before it happens. Hawao Jeifo is a journalist and women's rights advocate. Um, we have a law. Is it domesticated across all the states? No. But just having that top-down approach is not enough in having just a piece of paper. It is also understanding that we need reorientation, but it has to be a systemic thing. So while we're doing the legislation, what are we doing in schools? What are we doing in the educational system? What are we doing in terms of religious institutions? Because any one place can totally void the kind of progress that we're trying to make in terms of getting systemic change. Ojefo's observation about domesticating the relevant legislation was referred to by the Speaker of of the Nigerian House of Representatives, Femi Bajabia Miller. He says the House now has the task of driving the call for adherence to the rules of the law as legislated. Violence against persons, prohibitions, and the Child Rights Act and the domestication of both. I'm aware that uh, well over about 20 something states are yet to domesticate. So we, as a House, a federal House, are going to take that initiative of all 36 states for them to be proactive on this particular piece of legislation. Well, there was a small drama during the debate on the issue on the floor of the House. Suggestions were made as to the right punishment for rapists. This included the death penalty, life jail, but this next one caused a wide gaze from the male members of the Assembly, including the response of the House Speaker, Bajabia Miller. All men engaged in raping minors should be castrated in the rear rare event that a, a woman rapes a minor, what do you do to the woman? Those in favor of the amendment, please say aye. Those against, please say nay. The, the nays have it. At that, the government sounded agreement as well. And believe me, I was just as curious as you are. No man will want to be half current or lose gender grouping. But don't bet on it. Nigeria is a place where anything can happen. If the proposition failed now, it could pass the litmus test next time. Sentiments is mixed with emotions and rapists, and the unfortunate among the innocent may just become half-caste at noon. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosato before Channel Africa News. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 for Channel Africa, I'm Arthur Skopo in Lusaka, Zambia. If you develop fever, cough, and difficulty breathing, seek medical advice promptly, as this may be due to a respiratory infection or other serious condition. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. 
India reopened restaurants, shopping malls and religious places even as coronavirus infections jumped past the quarter million mark. The government also promised to resume international passenger flights but said it would largely depend on other countries easing restrictions on the entry of foreign travellers. Ranasen reports. Indians were back with a vengeance as shopping arcades reopened yesterday. Central Mall in Patna City was first of the block and his manager Ankur Pandey said business was already booming. We are following each and every government norms as per SOP. If the customer is going to enter in our store, uh, they are using the hand sanitizer, they need to have the mask and after thermal reading only we are uh, allowing customer to enter our store. Now we have trained each and every staff and uh, we have put the community all across that how to maintain the distance and how to uh, keep these things without touching. So minimal touching process is there. The government has put restrictions on hotels set to reopen later today and Josna Suri, chairwoman of the super luxury Lalit chain of hotels argued the rules were illogical. We also have restrictions about the number of people that can actually sit in uh, for a meeting or for an event which is put up to 50 people only. A little bit out of with aircraft because an aircraft with a capacity of 300 people sitting shoulder to shoulder for four hours is acceptable. However, in a hotel, you can't do more than 50 people. So there'll have to be some streamlining done to this. And Ashish Kapoor, India's best-known restaurateur, insisted fine dining would be impossible with a prime-time curfew in place. The guidelines need to be in sync with what the industry needs. But listen, some things are just not practical. Shutting dinner operations at 8 o'clock for people to leave is not practical. Not letting someone order a beer is just not okay. If we've put social distancing norms in place, why not allow dinner to take place at the time that most people go out? Because otherwise you're just bleeding the industry. But customers seem to be in a frenzy as spas and salons reopened after the 75-day lockdown. Added Blossom Koshner, a leading figure in India's beauty care industry. One thing I found is for haircuts and for color retouch they are there. The other thing in beauty I found is pedicures. It was really amazing. I never knew that people were so crazy about pedicures, but that is another thing they are coming for. Facials are going to be a little slower unless we find a way and we are all looking for it that we don't have to go very close to the plants. But happiest perhaps was Juan Mula, a footballer from Ghana, stranded in an airport in Mumbai for 74 days. If India keeps his promise, young Mueller may finally fly back home. This is Zana Sen reporting from New Delhi. It's 7.42 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu. Now, with millions more people this month returning to work under level three of the COVID-19 lockdown in South Africa, there are growing concerns over business preparedness to keep employees safe. Companies are urged to equip themselves to avoid further disruptions due to staff contracting COVID-19. Joining us now on the line to discuss this further is Dr. Jed Myers, Managing Director of uh, OcuFit, the company that is equipping businesses to return to work safely. Dr. Myers, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. 
Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Now, we understand assessments indicate that businesses are not exactly well prepared um, for the return to work under the COVID-19. Talk us through the main concerns. I think, um, I mean, there are a few aspects uh, of of the concerns that uh, we are identifying in the businesses that we've been consulting with. Um, The first is just uh, purely understanding the risk um, that these businesses are exposed to. I mean, fundamentally, all of the new regulations with regards to return to work fall under the auspices of the existing Occupational Health and Safety Act. This is, is not a new phenomenon in South Africa, and many companies are not aware that these regulations are actually under the guidelines of this act. So non-compliance in terms of the act or non-compliance in terms of COVID is not really an option. These are legislated requirements that go hand in hand. You really can't choose. Furthermore, um, a second category that's important to understand is that this disease, when it is severe, is proving to be a disease of the metabolically compromised. Um, and in South Africa, we, we have a, another epidemic pandemic on the go at the moment, which is that of chronic diseases of lifestyle, non-communicable diseases. And many companies we engage um, suffer from um, high prevalence of diseases like obesity, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And these patients are at high risk of severe infection, even hospitalization. So if, if companies are working back from the health, the wellness, the lives of their employees with the focus of um, altruism, business productivity, business continuity, not understanding these compliance regulations and how the disease manifests in people really just opens them up to further risk um, and, and potentially business uh, discontinuity. Um, and fundamentally, it's actually split into two kind of categories. You're dealing with the actual workplace itself, the physical aspects of the workplace itself, as well as the workforce. So quite a few different categories and considerations in terms of this. Um, and we feel businesses um, do not have the full picture and really, really are staring um, like deers in the headlights at the moment in some of these uh, difficult situations we are sitting them with. Now, you've just touched on a few consequences that uh, businesses may be confronted with uh, due to lack of uh, proper COVID-19 office planning. Now, companies require a more holistic, integrated solution. Briefly outline this for us. Yeah, I mean, the the holistic solution, as I mentioned, focuses on um, two broad categories, workplace and workforce. And you're working back from uh, preventing business-based outbreaks that can be prevented, that can be slowed, that can be controlled. You're working back from long-term absence of employees due to severe illness, hospitalization. You're working back from preventing deaths. You're working, you're working towards ensuring that you are compliant, um, that you do not have an increased number of cases. You do not want a massive increase of cases going through the COEDA fund. You really want to try to be able to contain this in your, in your workplace uh, and your workforce. In the workplace, um, there are a number of different interventions that can be put in place and um, that are under occupation and safety act to ensure that the business compliant to prevent infection spread in the workplace to ensure that employees are able to have access to hand sanitizer, masks, the various uh, personal protective equipment, social distancing. You want to focus on public transport and the movement of your employees. In the actual workforce, we're calling it the trifecta of care. Um, and that trifecta of care focusing on the body of the of, of your workforce and um, focus on three aspects. One is risk assessment, understanding the risk that the employee base poses to themselves and to the workforce and to the business itself. 
early testing. Testing remains the cornerstone of pandemic management around the world and in South Africa, and proactive management together with contact tracing. And that trifecta is really what we see as, as the holistic approach, integrating that into the broader occupational health solutions that the company might have or may not have. Um, and importantly, as I mentioned above, integration into a broader wellness strategy. So truly, no, Dr. Myers, sorry to cut in there. Um, we, we are running out of time. And sure. uh, um, I just need to find out from you. Um, the organizations have been encouraged to, to promote working from home. Um, you know, you've mentioned a few things. What are some of the things that businesses need to consider with this uh, working arrangement? Yeah, important question. I think, I think importantly, employers should not make any assumptions that people can work from home. So um, if you've made the decision that someone needs to work from home, which is sound, um, based on good risk analysis and assessment, you then need to ask the question, can this person perform their job at home? And is the environment at home um, suitable um, and lend itself towards them being able to do so? Are they able to work from home? Do they have good connectivity? Do they have the right technology to work from home? Do they have the space and to work from home? Then you, you want to focus and still assist the, the health of your employees at home. Are there other family members that are exposed to, to potential COVID-19 cases? Is the ergonomics of the workplace at home uh, being considered? And very importantly, the mental taxation of working from home for some people is dramatic um, and it can have an impact on family dynamics, especially if it's in a little bit more of a crowded space, um, a little bit more in the low-income areas where working from home can be quite difficult. Um, I think these are some of the questions businesses should ask um, before implementing broader strategies. Now, OccuFit, tell us about it and uh, how exactly um, your company provides um, other companies with solutions to deal with COVID-19. So we've been, um, we, we, we're quite early movers in, in our service um, uh, development and deployment into the market with regards to COVID-19. We've been rolling out services since early March. Um, in South Africa, physical services and digital services a bit earlier than that in South Africa and our businesses internationally. Um, and the, the focus of our, of our services remains that trifecta of care with people. Um, at risk analysis in companies and helping them understand the risk that their workforce poses into their business. Um, early testing and testing we've been able to do through a range of different me- uh, measures. We can do testing on site. We've set up two drive-through facilities in Joburg and Cape Town that helps us with our testing. Um, and early proactive management of contact tracing, it's primarily telephonic the way we do it. We've been managing thousands of cases. Um, and it's thing right from the point of risk um, identification, someone identifying that they feel they're at risk, testing, early proactive management, isolation and quarantine, moving right through to contact tracing. And what's the reception been like in terms of uh, the services that you provide? I think it's been really well received. Uh, you know, I mean, um, uh, independent of those physical health businesses, uh, we continue to deploy our digital health solutions around the world and we set up um, some actually free-to-access digital health solutions for companies to work with. Um, and it's been really well received. You know, ultimately, our calling card has been to impact lives and to help and care for people. Um, and that's the, the fundamental core value of our entire business. And, and that really comes through when people are, are assisting many of the employees and then how that reflects into corporate um, entity as our corporate clients is our, is our, is our knitting. Um, and it's been really well received that we have 
gone through quite a steep but um, impressive growth and learning curve to be able to deal with this pandemic in, in corporate in South Africa. Dr. Myers, thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you so much for coming. That's Dr. Jed Myers, Managing Director of OcuFit, a specialized business focused on integrating occupational health services into the broader wellness of an organization. It is 7.51 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Good morning. The United States economy has officially entered a recession. The body that monitors economic cycles in the U.S. says economic production, employment and consumption have collapsed as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. The BBC's Samira Hussein reports. The U.S. economy grew for nearly 11 years until February. According to the National Bureau of Economic Research, that's when America's longest ever economic expansion was derailed by the coronavirus. Attempts to slow the spread of the virus left businesses idle and consumers at home. Economic production and employment therefore collapsed from February. The Bureau paints a bleak picture of the U.S. economy, brightened only by a suggestion that this recession may not last as long as previous ones. Meanwhile, the World Bank is forecasting that the economic decline caused by the coronavirus pandemic this year will be more widespread than at any time in the last 150 years. Predictions are that the global economy will contract by 5.2%. The BBC's Andrew Walker reports. The report says it could be particularly damaging to long-term prospects for the developing world because it undermines international supply chains in which goods can cross borders several times during the production process. The report says they have been a foundation of growth over the last two decades. It also warns that the crisis may hit physical investments such as buildings and equipment and also investment in the skills and knowledge that make workers more productive. The bank says the current downturn is more likely to leave permanent economic scars than a typical recession. The Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association is heading to the High Court in the South African capital Pretoria this morning to seek relief on the legality of the lockdown regulations which banned the sale of tobacco products in South Africa. The association has received an answering affidavit from government. And two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, have been set aside for the case to be heard. The legal battle follows government's decision to ban the sale of tobacco products as part of enforcing lockdown regulations to curb the spread of the coronavirus, which so far has claimed the lives of 1,080 South Africans. In its daily statement on Monday, the Department of Health confirmed 82 more COVID-19-related deaths. South African Airways Business Rescue Practitioners request for yet another delay in the publication of their rescue plan. Um, 
South African Airways Business Rescue Practitioners request for yet another delay in the publication of their rescue plan is beyond embarrassing. This is according to political analyst Kaya Sitole. The airline's accreditors approved the request on Monday and the rescue plan has been pushed to the 15th of this month because of an objection by trade unions. The rescue plan for SAA, which has not made a profit since 2011, was due to be published on Monday. The government and unions have been pressing for SAA to be salvaged. This is despite the airline's long-standing problems which are exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. SAA was placed under voluntary business rescue in December last year. Sitole says that there is no justification for another extension. It is difficult to imagine how any team tasked with rescuing any business could think it is justifiable for them to not only miss every statutory deadline, but to simply, at the very last hour, every time, ask for an extension. So we do know that legally this process should have been completed long ago because, again, it's important to remember that a business rescue is a business that's under strain, trying to preserve as much of itself, of its financial sustainability as possible. Ghana says it will implement a set of policies to reduce the dominance of South Africa's MTN in the country's telecommunications market. The government says that the National Communications Authority will, in the coming days, begin the implementation of specific policies to ensure a level playing field for all network operators within the telecommunications industry. MTN has been declared a significant market power, requiring the regulator to take corrective action to allow more market competition. The U.S. dollar is trading at 386.41 Nigerian Nara, 11.57 Botswana Pula, 105.36 Kenyan Shilling and 18.28 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies in Brazil, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4 real 91. In Russia, 68 rubles 27. In India, 75 rupees 23. In China, it's a 7 yuan 6, and in South Africa, a rand will cost you, rather, the US dollar will cost you 16 rand 75. The US dollar is also trading at 78 pence to the British pound and at 88 cents to the euro. Gold $1,692, platinum $825 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $41.02 a barrel. From an African perspective, Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Well, that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the Africa Rise and Shine team, thank you for joining us. Send us an email to info at channelafrica.coza or WhatsApp on plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven. Tweet us at Channel Africa One. Well, taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Harambe by WHP. Yes, sir. Shout out. Yo, 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 ha. Yo, Harambe. So, tell you, no, see, get it,
Fight your host, the bossy from the day, get bella, why even before get it? Harambe, Oswaga, you feed you like Baka, break your neck by only using your taga, spread enough to go Harambe, clench your fist and write the list off, everybody you know who's the guy in your pistol, cause from here we only say Harambe, I shoot faster than Trinity. I stand taller than Liberty. Even the hog bark as he is is afraid of me. I'm an enemy. Go through any means to get rid of me. Whether you do voodoo, any means at all to consider me just a canny body. Don't you know who the Jabba man is considered generally? Cause ready squad, I be the anybody. Ain't nothing I've done that hasn't left you list on my garlic. Burning like mastics. Controversial like an exposed match fix. I stand out like clitoris on extreme black chicks. Inside the air like ice cream on the tongue licks. Intense like Atula when the mighty hand picks. The propaganda. Jabba slender be the king. Harder than a panda. Whitey panda on the thing that shakes the blender. Make you tender when you sing. That's why. Spend a lot of render on the blaze you